Hello and welcome to the First Baptist Church of LaGrange. What an honor it is to have you listening to our church broadcast today. We hope that as you listen along, following in your Bible, that you experience the grace and presence of Christ just as strongly as we do every Sunday in our worship service. May God truly bless you as you listen. So in the northernmost region of Galilee, in a place called Caesarea Philippi, the pagan gods were worshipped. There were many idols and idol temples there. And once Jesus brought his disciples to Caesarea Philippi, and he began to ask them some important questions. He asked them, he said, who do men say that I am? They responded, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're one of the prophets like Jeremiah. Then Jesus became very personal and he asked, Who do you say that I am? The Bible records these words in Matthew chapter 16, verses 16 and 18. Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. In light of Peter's confession that Jesus is the Christ, on that confession, on that faith, Jesus said that not even hell would stop the church. Did you know this morning that Jesus is still building His church? Did you know that He's still building His people? The question is, is how? How does Jesus build His church? And then how does He use you and me? Some important things would be to think about, well, what would the church be built on? What would it be built with? And then how would we know if it's been built correctly? That's exactly what our text addresses this morning. How do we build the church of God? It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Verses 10 through 17. So if you'd like to turn in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 17, you will see with me the three requirements for building God's church. I wonder if you would, out of the just simple respect and honor of the reading of God's word, would you stand with me as we read 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 17? In the holy word of God says these words. According to the grace of God which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building on it, but each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which is built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet as through fire. 
Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy. That is what you are. You may be seated and may God bless the reading of his word. So how does Jesus build the church? I'm not talking about the building. I mean, we just built a building. That's not what we're talking about. The people of God. How does God build the kingdom, the church of God? does he do that? Well, there are three requirements I think that the scripture lays out. The first one from this text is this. We build the church on the foundation of Christ. Build the church on the foundation of Christ. In verse 10, Paul says, according to the grace of God, which is given to me like a wise master builder. Paul uses the word there, architekos, and you can imagine where we got our word architect from. It's the same word. He lays the first stone. He's laid the right foundation. He says that he's, the, he's building upon this foundation. He's a wise master builder. What's interesting, that word wise is there. For two chapters in 1 Corinthians, we've been talking about wisdom, wisdom, wisdom. But here the word doesn't mean like it did before wisdom. Here it means skillful. To understand why Paul is speaking this way, that he's building like a wise master builder, that he had to go into it with that kind of a mindset to be very careful how he built. You have to remember that Paul was most likely the first Christian ever to step foot in the city of Corinth. Upon his arrival, Paul has already told us in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 2, he said, For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Paul constantly and continuously preached that Jesus was the Messiah and that he was crucified. And at that message, some were saved and believed in Christ, and they were added to the church. And as Paul would preach that in the synagogue, he would be run out. And so Paul ran out of the synagogue, and then he went next door, and he preached the same message, that Jesus is the Messiah, and that Jesus was crucified. And some people were saved and added to the kingdom of God. And they just simply, Paul said, I just keep preaching the same message. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Because that is the foundation. That is the only foundation that the church can be built upon. It's the only foundation, the gospel, that Jesus was crucified for sinners, that the foundation that Paul keeps coming back to over and over again. And then in verse 10, Paul says this, though. He says, and another is building on it. He says, someone else builds upon this foundation, and that's most likely the person we've been learning about in 1 Corinthians is Apollos. Early in 1 Corinthians, we learned that Apollos came in the, the city, but Apollos was a skilled orator. And he showed with eloquent skill that Jesus was the Messiah and that he was crucified. And then some were saved there in Corinth and joined the Corinthian church. But again, Apollos came back to the same foundation, Jesus Christ and Christ crucified. But see, then you have to remember that something happened in Corinth. Something happened in that church. Something happened. We, we talked about it a little bit the last time we were in 1 Corinthians. Somebody was trying to move away from the foundation. Some were trying to move from the Messiah and the message of the Messiah. And they were trying to move from the message and the Messiah to the messengers of the Messiah. And so instead of making it about the Messiah, they were making it about the messengers. So, so one began to elevate Paul and one began to elevate Apollos. And, and, and Paul said, no, that, that's not right. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, earlier... And what we preached about a couple of weeks ago, he says, one says, I am of Paul, and another says, I am of Apollos. Are you guys not mere, just mortal, sinful men? 
What then is Apollos? What then is Paul? Servants through whom you believe, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. Paul says, we're not the foundation. We're not the message. We're simply messengers of the message. The message is the Messiah. Jesus Christ came and was crucified. Build on him. Then Paul says in verse 10, the latter part of verse 10, he says, but each man must be careful how he builds on it. Notice he says each one. Each one is to be careful how he builds on it. Well, that's interesting, Paul. Give us some more. Help us out a little more with verse 11. Then he says, For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. You see, let me just kind of break that down to you, to how I learn and how, how I understand it. There is no foundation but Jesus for the church. Listen carefully. If an organization that calls itself a church is not built on the message of Jesus and Him crucified, it's not a church. There might be a sign out front that says it's a church. There might be a constitution and bylaws that says it's a church. There may be a cool website proclaiming to be a church, even a person claiming to be a pastor. But if that's what's happening and it isn't about Jesus, it's not a church. There's only one foundation, and that's the message of the gospel. It's the Lord Jesus Christ and Jesus alone. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, a great preacher of old, said this. He said, no one but Jesus. No one but Jesus, the divine Savior, could sustain the weight of a single soul with all its sins, much less all the sins which are built into the temple of God. We build the church on the foundation of Jesus and Jesus alone. I remember reading this story. It might be familiar to you once you begin to know what I'm talking about. But years and years ago, a church, a church wanted to build a bell tower on their property. So they contracted an architect and the architect came in and presented the plans for this bell tower. He said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to build this thing 173 feet tall. We're going to build it out of solid marble. Everyone will be impressed with its beauty and its craftsmanship. He told them they were going to build it with walls at the bottom that were going to be 13 feet thick. So it was going to be 173 feet tall, built out of solid marble with walls at the bottom 13 feet thick. Well, they began to build that baby, and up and up it went, but then somebody kind of stood back at a distance and they said, man, that thing don't look like it's straight. That thing looks like it's leaning. As a matter of fact, it's four degrees off center even today. It's leaning. And they spend millions and millions of dollars every year just trying to keep that tower from toppling over. You and I don't call it the 173-foot tower. We don't call it the 13-foot wall tower at the bottom. We don't call it the solid marble tower. We call it the leaning tower of Pisa. That's what we call it. That lean has defined everything about that tower. It wasn't a materials problem. It was a foundation problem. If you and I tried to build the church on anything other than the foundation of Jesus, the church is always going to be off center. And she will crumble and fall. If it's built on the foundation of personality, if it's built on the foundation of the style of worship, of the type of ministries, political persuasions, if it's built on anything else, then Jesus Christ, it will not stand. He is the only foundation for the church. And beloved, let me tell you this, He's the only foundation for our lives as well. 
unless your life and my life is built on the rock-solid foundation of Jesus Christ, you are going to lean more and more into sin until you finally fall into death. Beloved, let me tell you something. You and I can only build the church on the foundation of Christ. Well, Paul, that's great. You got anything else to help us with? He sure does. Here's the second requirement. We build the church with the fabric of eternity. Not only the foundation of Christ, but the fabric of eternity. Look there in verse 12. He says this. If any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw. Now Paul stated in verse 11 that each one needs to be very careful what he uses to build with. He says there, be, be careful. We're going to get to why he says that in just a moment. But for now, he tells us you've got kind of two options to build the church with. It's built upon the foundation. Now the structure, how does the structure go up? What do we got to build that with? He says you've got two choices of fabric. You can do it with cheap stuff or you can do it with the choice stuff. The rest of the walls and the structure must be built with something. So what is it, Paul? He says, well, you can build with choice materials like gold, silver, and precious stones. Or you can build with cheap materials like wood, hay, and straw. The first group contains materials that last. Gold, silver, precious stones, they last. They're valuable. They do not corrode. They do not deteriorate. They can stand the test of time and the fire of judgment. Or you can build with wood, stray, uh, hay, and stubble. And, and those things do not last. They, they deteriorate. They have less value. And they will not withstand the fire of judgment that's coming. So here's the big question, right? Here's what you're saying. Here's what I'm saying. Paul, what in the world do those mean? What does that symbolize? He Obviously, you're talking symbolically. How in the world am I, am I going to take gold, silver, and precious stones to build the church? And you're not talking about a building. You're talking about people. So what does that really mean, Paul? What does that symbolize? I'm glad you asked, because it's in the text. It's in the text. Look, look there in your Bible in verse 12. It's right there. It's, it's in there. It's verse 12. Now, if any man builds on the foundation, verse 11, no man can lay a foundation. Verse 10, I laid a foundation. That word foundation gives us the answer for the question. The word foundation there is a Greek word, familion. I'm not trying to impress you with Greek, but, but do you hear it? That the answer is there. Themilion. We get our word theme from that word foundation. In other words, a theme is a melody that a composer keeps returning to. The theme is an idea of which an author keeps coming back to in his writing over and over again. What Paul is saying is the theme of the church, the things by which the church should be built upon, the theme that everybody just keeps coming back to over and over, not just for the foundation, but even for the structure of the church is the Lord Jesus Christ. He comes coming. What is what Paul is saying is that gold, silver, and precious stones are the things that keep us in line with the theme of Jesus Christ. Gold, silver, and precious stones are the things that keep us in line. Wood, hay, and straw seem impressive, but they have no eternal value and they will not last. And here's the thing about them. They will not reflect the glory of God. They won't stick with the lasting theme of Jesus. In other words, we have to build the church with the fabric of eternity, the things that stay with the theme of the gospel of Jesus Christ. My family and I, and to your enjoyment, we watch a show called Domino Masters. Anybody out there know about Domino Masters? Thank you. Thank you, sister. I feel so less alone. 
It's just show that there these these teams they can beat they compete in these huge elaborate displays of dominoes and they build they, they make all these dominoes thousands of dominoes go around this big platform and they got these big stinking just things they build and these chain reactions that make them knock down and fire and all it's just the coolest thing ever and they they lay it all out there and they get judged on creativity and to, can they tell a story or can they keep with a theme all the way through. And then somebody knocks one over and you watch the whole thing kind of unfold and it is the coolest thing ever. I should get kickback for making this interesting for you guys. But here's what I want you to know. On some of their structures they have, they're literally six feet, eight feet tall of just nothing but dominoes. If the dominoes at the bottom are not in line with the dominoes at the top, and the dominoes at the top aren't in line with the dominoes at the bottom, that thing is going to fall before it was ever intended to fall. You're saying, Pastor, why in the world are you going to the world of dominoes? Here's what I'm going to tell you. If every part of our lives and in this church doesn't keep in line with the foundation of Jesus Christ from the top to the bottom, we're surely going to fall off as a church and never be God asks us to be, and we will not make it as a church. If your life isn't built on the theme of Jesus Christ from the top to the bottom, from the bottom of the top, at some point your life is going to crumble. So is what you are doing as a believer, is how you're living as a believer, is what we're doing as a church, is it in line with the theme of the gospel? Paul will stick with this theme even later in the writing of 1 Corinthians, he says in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31, he says, whatever then you eat or drink. I mean, he's getting super specific, isn't he? Whatever you eat, whatever you drink, do it all to the glory of God. In other words, keep your life, even with the things that seem so what elementary, make sure you do that for the glory of God. Here's how you can paraphrase 1 Corinthians 10, 31. For you students, for you youth today, I want you to listen. Your pastor is going to give you a paraphrase for something that can guide your life. Listen closely. He said there, whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Here's Pastor Steve's paraphrase. Make sure you can draw a straight line between anything that you're doing and the glory of Jesus. Make sure that you can draw a straight line from whatever it is you're doing to the glory of Jesus. That's how we're to live our lives. We've got to keep in theme and in line with the gospel. Do whatever we're doing in the church. Does whatever we're doing in the church. Does it have a straight line between what we're doing and the glory of God? We build the church on the foundation of Jesus and the fabric of eternity. And lastly, we build the church with the fear of judgment. We build the church with the fear of judgment. So we've looked at the foundation and then we looked at how we build it with the fabric. And then, like you noticed, once we kind of got through here, one of the most important things is then there has to be an inspection to see if what was built was built according to the rules and the standards. Paul hinted that there was an inspection coming when he said, I told you earlier, we'd get back to it, when he said, be careful how you build. That each one must be careful how he builds. Well, then in verse 13, he picks up and he says this, each man's work will become evident. For the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. Paul is saying, just like with the Leaning Tower of Pisa, if you build apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ, your work will become evident. 
It will become obvious to everyone that your foundation and what you've chosen to build is not about the gospel. He says then, he says, the day will disclose it. Disclose it. This means to make manifest, to make plain, or to signify. Listen, there's coming a day, there's coming a day and a time when every single person will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, each and every person, and they will give an account for what they have done since they came to know the Lord Jesus. There's a day coming, friends. The text says the day will disclose it. Let me tell you, though, what it's not and what it is. That's a specific day. It's a day that each believer will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Each believer will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We will give an account, whether good or bad, with what we've done and how we've helped build the kingdom of God. But let me be clear. This here is not talking about the great white throne judgment. There is a judgment for believers, and I'm going to explain it to you, and there's a judgment for unbelievers. This is talking about the judgment for believers. The judgment for unbelievers is where they're sentenced to spend eternity in hell. The judgment for believers is not about condemnation. It's not about that. It's about rewards. So here, Paul is not referencing hell. He's referencing heaven. He's not referencing punishment. He's referencing reward because he says, if any man's work on which he's built remains, he will receive a reward. Paul says that the fabric and foundation will be revealed by fire. Fire is used for judgment, for punishment, for purification, but here it's used to describe testing. In other words, Jesus Christ is going to test the way we've used what we've been given to build His church and to build our lives. If we have used quality materials like gold, silver, and precious stones, the things that are in the line of the gospel, then the fire will reveal that and Jesus will give us a reward. But, verse 14 and 15, he says, If any man's work is built on it remains, he'll receive a reward. But if any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, and he himself will be saved as yet through fire. This is picturing a man standing before Christ, and he offers up his life since being saved by Christ. He offers up how he's prayed, how he's sought the kingdom, how he's given, how he's shared the gospel how he's committed himself to building the church, to being about the kingdom of God, and Jesus Christ will test every single thing. And if his life has been built according to the things that are not in line with the gospel, things of wood, straw, and hay, then those things will go up in smoke and fall in ashes, and there will be no reward. What a sad thing it would be for you to stand before the King of Kings with nothing to give to your Lord. What a sad thing it would be. Paul says this is not about heaven and hell. This is about rewards. He says that the person who has come to Christ has the right foundation, but yet who lived his life not in accordance with that foundation will be saved yet as through fire. You're still going to make it to heaven. You're still going to be in heaven. But you're going to have nothing to bring King Jesus. It's like everything in your house was burned up and the only thing remains is the foundation. And When you get to heaven and you have nothing, praise God, you can still look and say, the only reason I'm here is because of Jesus. It will be my theme until I die. 
There's coming a day when we'll all be inspected and it will all be tried. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10 says this, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that we may be recompensed for His deeds in the body according to what He has done, whether good or bad. This Bema seat, this judgment seat, help you understand what's happening here. When Paul says this, the day is coming. He writes elsewhere in 2 Corinthians, so we know what he means. He's talking about this Bema seat. It's, it's a raised platform that was about 8 to 10 feet off the ground. And it's where the returning warriors would be rewarded for their heroism. Where athletes who'd won a certain race would be crowned with these victory wreaths. Paul is saying that Jesus Christ wants to return His, his warriors in the battle. He wants to reward them. He wants to re- reward those who've run the race of faith. He wants to give them the crown of victory. That's what Jesus wants to do. He says it'll be tested if it's good or bad. That's what He says there. The fire would test the quality of each man's work. It's just interesting to me that the Lord truly wants to reward His faithful. That's sobering to know that we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. That's sobering. And everything in our lives that weren't in line with the gospel, poof, are just going to go up. But, but can I tell you that there's even a stronger word coming. Look with me in verse 16 and 17. Do you not know that you're a temple of God and that the Holy Spirit dwells in you? Wow. If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, and that is what you are. Interestingly here, Paul doesn't use the word for the temple complex. You would know that in a temple there was kind of like the court of the Gentiles, and then you would get into the, the holy court of this thing, and then you would go further back over here into the holy of holies where the very... Ark of the Covenant was there and the cherubim were there and that's where God's presence would come and the high priest could only go in there once a year and it had to be very specific and if you did something wrong, you would die. But this is where the Shekinah glory of God would come. Paul doesn't use this word over here or this word over here to describe what we are. He says we are the very holy of holies. You are the holy of holies for God. His very presence lives inside of you. It is a very holy place. That's what he says. And then he says this. He says, listen to me. He says, do you not know that if you don't treat the holy place and the things of God like they're holy, not only will you lose your reward there, I will make sure to destroy your life here. So everything that you and I choose to try to do apart from the kingdom of God here, if you just try to destroy God's work, He's going to make sure that your work never succeeds here either. This is not, please hear me, He just just made the statement that you would be saved through fire. This is not about believers losing their salvation. This is not about purgatory or any other kind of crazy doctrine that's out there. That's not what this is. This is about Jesus saying, The word that destroy means to corrupt. If you're going to corrupt your life, you've got the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you. 
The very presence of God living inside of you. And if you're going to live your life not in accordance with that holiness and you're going to go try to do something else, whatever you're going to try to do, I'm going to make sure I destroy. And that's why to build our life on anything else than Jesus Christ is sinking sand. It's sinking sand. Keeping with the context, Paul says that if it's built with corruptible things, God will make sure that they're finally and completely corrupted. He will consume it. Now, now watch this, because this is, you know, this is my heart. <laughs> I want to get you to grace now. <laughs> if God is that concerned and speaks that strong of a language about taking rewards away and just destroying our lives that aren't built on the gospel, if he's that strong, can you imagine how good the reward's going to be? I mean, if he takes the best stuff so seriously, I think he's going to go the other way to the other extreme about how he rewards us. That's so stinking exciting. But, but, but watch, before I get there, can I, can I just remind you of a few things? In John chapter 2, verses 13 through 17, God takes his temple super seriously. It says the Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. This is the beginning of his ministry. And he found in the temple... Those who were selling oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers seated at their tables, wood, hay, and straw. And he made a scourge of cords and drove them out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he said, take these things away. Stop making my father's place a house of business. And he remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. Jesus takes his temple pretty seriously. And Paul says, you are that temple. And anything that's in your life that's not doing the things that God's asking you to do, he's going to drive out of your life. That's what it means when he says he's going to destroy it. Later in Jesus' ministry, in Matthew chapter 21, at the end of his ministry, he says the same thing. And Jesus entered the temple in Matthew 21, 12 and 13, and drove out all those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves and he said to them, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a robber's den. Now again, there's going to come a day when what we've done with and in his temple, the church, will be torn apart, demolished, and destroyed if it's not been built on the gospel. But can you imagine what it's going to be like if we built on the foundation and have gold, silver, and precious stones to offer to our king? Can you imagine? Here's some things that I'm looking forward to. Matthew 25, 21. Watch this. He said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things, and I will put you in charge of many things. That's pretty awesome. Hearing the words well done is, this, is a theme of my life. I want to hear that. But, but then did you notice the last part of this? And enter into the joy of your master. Jesus, I don't have to have a lot, but man, if you give me your joy, that's all I need. Woo, man, his joy. Can you imagine the joy of Jesus today? What if you just had an ounce of that to live on every day? That would be awesome, right? The joy of Jesus, that's what he wants to give you and I. The Father's heart is not to take away. The Father's heart is to bless you. The Father's heart is for you. The Father's heart wants to reward you. The Father's heart, yes, it's true. There's an ulterior motive. It's His glory because He knows that when you get whatever it is He's going to give, you're going to give it right back to Him because you're going to want to glorify Him with it. Jesus is after His glory. And we should be too. 
And there's such joy when we live according to the things of God. That's what I'm looking for. I can remember, I know some of you may not know and care about my stories, about my personal life, but I'm going to tell you one. I might not have been much, but I was, and this isn't bragging, I was a really good football player. I was a McDonald's All-American. I, I, I was going places, but the Lord had other plans. And I can remember, man, my, my main theme was I love to play defense because I love to hit people. I did. I love to make people bleed. That was my thing. I, I love, if I didn't hit you to where you bled, I didn't hit you hard enough. It just was instilled in me from a little kid. And I played defense most all of my, my football. But they also put me on offense because they knew I'd block the snot out of people. Like, if, if I was going to go, I was going to block for the running back. I was going to hit you till you bled. That, that's the way it was. So they always put me in. I had this low center of gravity, and I, nobody, it just was crazy. I could just run over people. It was the crazy thing about that. It's all physics. And, and I remember that on offense, before the season ever started, the coach told me, he said, Steve, I know you probably don't get to play a lot on offense because that's not really what you're designed for but I need you to learn the passing plays, so just in case. Right, okay, coach. So I spent the summer, no, I spent about five minutes looking over the passing plays. And I kind of went through the motions of kind of learning the plays on offense. Well, I didn't get the ball a lot when I did play offense, probably because I was short, but it was really because we had these tall, really amazing receivers. So I never really learned those routes. I just went through the motions, and here it was, the end of the season, and the end of my senior year, it was senior night. And so coach said, hey, Brown, Brown, get in there, man. Get in there. It's your play. It's all good. It's yours. I'm like, cool. So I line up out there on the far right, man. It's going to be awesome. This is going to be all that in a bag of Chick-fil-A on Sunday, right? And I'm like, man, this is good. They hiked the ball. Man, I ran down the field, and I didn't know any play I was supposed to run. I just knew one. I'd seen them do it in practice 100 times. Because after they caught the ball, I knew what it looked like. You know what I mean? So I just ran down, and I just ran toward the center of the field, threw my hand up. And at that moment, when I went to look for the ball, the other receiver about knocked me out. We collided because I was running the wrong, wrong thing. So I get back up off the ground, and there goes the ball over my head, and there went the ball over his head. And the coach is screaming mad. Screaming mad. We get back in the huddle, and the quarterback says, Brown, that was for you. That was your ball, man. That, that was for you. We, we designed this whole play. Senior, we wanted to make sure you caught at least one pass your whole career. This was designed just for you. Why didn't you just run the route? I got to thinking about that. My coach, my quarterback, wanted to make sure that I got the thrill of catching one ball. but I missed it because I just went through the motions. I didn't take the time to study the playbook to know how to run my route. And now I regret to this day that I went through my entire high school career and never had a call to pass. Beloved, I'm telling you, there's coming a day when Jesus is going to say, I wanted to throw you the ball. You were too busy going through the motions. And you decided to do it your own way. Not only did you hurt yourself, but you hurt somebody else in the process. I wanted to reward you. 
you went through the motions. Love, if we're going to build the church, we've got to build it with the fear, the judgment that's coming, the foundations of Jesus and the fabric of eternity. Oscar and your team, would you come? Some here this morning, within the sound of my voice and even by way of video, even on the internet here this morning, some of you this morning are not making a difference with your life. If you were to die today and the fire would test, it would all go up in smoke. But I want to give you an opportunity during this, offer, uh, this invitation to come back to the foundation. Maybe it is this morning during this invitation, you want to come to this altar and get on your knees at some point through here this altar and you just want to say, Lord Jesus, I want to come back to the foundation. I don't want to go through the motions anymore. I want to get back in the book. For others of you, you've never built your life on the rock of Jesus Christ, the foundation of Jesus while I do not mean to scare you, I mean to tell you the truth. There's coming another judgment for you. Where you will stand before the King of Kings. If you've not been forgiven of your sin in this lifetime by placing your faith like Emma did in his death to pay for your sin, that you can be covered and hidden in him and raised and given new life. If you've never done that, Jesus will have to say to you, Depart from me. And you can't be where he's at, and there's only one alternative, and that's in hell. I don't say that because I told you so, or you're going to hell. That's not how I'm saying it. I'm saying that with a broken heart because I don't want you to go there. I'm saying I don't want you to miss hell because you're afraid of hell. I want you to get heaven because you love Jesus. I want you to come to heaven because you know that there's a, a God who so loved you that He gave His only begotten Son that if you would believe in Him, you wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. But I do want you to know there is a judgment day coming. And the sad reality is, is that you nor I know when that's going to happen to you. So believer, what a shame it would be for you to walk out of this room knowing the Lord Jesus Christ and to die and to stand before Christ and have it all burn up. For unbeliever, for you to walk out of this room and stand before Christ and be burnt up for the rest of eternity. Wonder, would you stand to your feet? I'm going to sing. There'll be some men and women down here to pray with you, or this altar will be completely open. Whatever it is you need to do, however it is the Lord spoken to your heart.